Totally Football Show. Today, drama at the Emirates. Was Arsenal 4, Spurs 2 the most entertaining derby of the year? Divock Origi says, hold my beer. We round up that mind-boggling Merseyside denouement and the rest of the weekend's action, including Cardiff, no longer toilet, they've got Junior Hoylet, and Man United, now so bad people get fired for drawing with them. All that plus news from around the world, UEFA's 2020 vision and run for the hills, it's Europa League 2 in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Alisson tries to get Alexander-Arnold a better angle for the ball in. That's not the daftest thing in the world. Came out to Van Dijk. It's uh, actually... It's led to a great game. That's absolutely amazing. Look at Jürgen Klopp. The daftest derby goal of all time. And it's won the day for Liverpool. And this place has gone berserk. It's true, listener. It really does sound better with Titanic music. What a weekend it's been. Rich in episode, ending with a kind of metaphor for our times, that Divock Origi last-minute winner. And also, of course, the sparky and firing scenario Monday morning out to Southampton. We'll touch on that later, but it's a big welcome, first of all, uh, to, first of all, Carl Anker. Good to have you back, Carl. Hello, everyone. It's good to be back. Daniel, who was actually there witnessing history being forged at Anfield. Indeed, good morning. And Michael, who was at the Emirates. Hi, James. Which must have been a thrill after a month away taking pictures of cats. That is true. Okay, yeah. let's, let, let's, let's, let's switch to the Merseyside derby. Uh, heading for a broadly entertaining nil-nil when in the 95th minute mm-hmm. that happened. That Divock Origi thing happened. Daniel, what, what went on in the stadium? We, Klopp runs on the pitch. What was happening around you? Yeah, Klopp, Klopp sprints onto the pitch to to Alison Becker and gives him a mid-air hug. Um, who was the only one in? He was the only player in Liverpool's half. All of the others were kind of falling into the cop in delirium. Um, yeah, I mean, firstly, it sound, makes me sound incredibly killjoy, but Klopp shouldn't have done that. And yeah, but... at some point, he's going to have to rein that in because he will get another FA charge for it. And it feels like he can't control himself. I know it reflected the mood of Anfield, but it just seemed a bit slightly manufactured. But that is me being a killjoy because it was a, a brilliant moment. And no sweeter way for Liverpool to win beyond the 90. Yeah, and... and with a completely comical kind of clown academy goal. Yeah, and, and not deserving to win either. Everton were at least as good as Liverpool yesterday. Liverpool missed chances, but Everton had the best chance of the game. Andre Gomez in central midfield was by far the game's best player. He looks exceptional. He does, doesn't he? he just so cool in no, midfield. No, he looks exceptional. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, he's a kind of cross between Ilke Gundogan and uh, Olivier Giroud, I think. What do you think? Mm, which is oh. a massive compliment. Okay. <laughs> um, Virgil van Dijk has a shanked volley that loops up in the air. The ball on replay is clearly going over the bar. I, I don't think that's Pickford's mistake. I think at that time of a game when the margins were that close he probably doesn't want to leave it and hope it goes over the bar otherwise he could look silly and ended up looking silly anyway but I think I honestly think knowing him as a personality I honestly think he was thinking I'm going to catch this and start a counter-attack and we're going to win this derby because I think that's how passionate he gets in those moments Mm -hmm. whereas actually just tip it over the bar there's an argument that the referee would have blown full time then anyway but whatever had been the case Everton would just have had to defend a corner and yeah succeeded in only parrying it out to to Mr. Origi, who had already hit the bar from one yard, right? Um, in his four or five minutes on the pitch, yeah, but, six minutes on the pitch. Yeah. Review football pointing out he's got more goals scored this season than passes completed, which that's is remarkable. Good. <laughs> Duncan Alexander also tweeting vindication for Liverpool hiring a specialist shank shot from a centre half subsequent crossbar deflection coach. Yeah, I had visions of that, um, that really. Twee Liverpool meme of uh, Bill Shankly looking down at Virgil van Dijk, sort of saying, Nice shanks. Um, <laughs> but it's like no. he grabs the ball. Many people were impressed by that, as if to, you know, race up the other end. Yeah, he's so used to, he's so surprised by his goal that he had no concept at the time that he'd scored it, which I've got a lot of time for. Oh, it reminded me a little bit in a funny way. Do you remember when John O'Shea scored that incredible chip against Arsenal at Highbury and had no idea what to do? Just looked really confused by the whole situation. Fantastic. Oh, dear. One of the, one of the memorable Premier League goals. I mean, I think 
if one goal lives on after this season, it'll be that one, which is crazy when you think of some of the other things that happened this weekend. Oh, it's been a fantastic weekend of football, I think. Um, Michael, as you tweeted uh, on Saturday, that the North London derby has probably become the best fixture in the Premier League mm. past decade or so on entertainment. And I was so exhausted by the North London derby that I could only really manage half an hour of the Merseyside derby before my brain went, this is too much, too much. Yeah, it was hard to adjust to it, wasn't it? It was a bit day after Lord Mayor show, mm. just a bit, no, bit too much. A good game in its own right, but it was hard for anything to match the in- intensity of, it was, of the I mean, Emirates. It, but what conclusion would you draw? You say Everton with a better side. Alisson, Liverpool's best player, perhaps. Yeah, probably. Uh, Virgil van Dijk was pretty imperious again at the back. Um, but yeah, Everton pretty much played as equals, but they still haven't won at Anfield since September 1999. And until they get that monkey off their back, until they can kind of not just play as equals but get it over the line, then there's clearly a kind of familiar set on the shoulder there. But yeah, they they should be massively encouraged. They're still sixth in the league. Mm. They are still... They are, they've gone from having the oldest squad in the Premier League to the youngest starting eleven. They've gone from creating the fewest chances to creating one of the most. So, yeah, they're a work in progress, but definitely positive signs despite pretty galling defeat for Everton. And equally, should Klopp be careful about being too excited about this victory? Uh, I think he will be... Uh, slightly concerned he spoke in the week to Sky Sports and he said I'm not concerned with how we're playing we're just having to play differently because people are playing differently against us right. what I am slightly concerned about is the number of chances we're missing and that was pretty much exactly what happened against against Everton although Everton were the better team Sadio Mane missed four or five presentable chances yeah Anyway, Liverpool stayed two points behind Man City, who of course beat Bournemouth 3-1 on Saturday uh, midweek Liverpool will be at Burnley Everton host Newcastle And next up, we're going to talk about the match you went to, Arsenal Spurs. You being Michael Cox, sorry, listen. (laughs) You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. North London, possibly the game of the year. Michael, you were there. Yeah, it was good. It was really good. It was a game where I think there was a lot of anticipation, excitement. People know that this is usually a good game, and I think it exceeded expectations. It was just relentless. Almost from the first minute, Arsenal was so quick out of the traps. Um, And Tottenham only really played well for... In fact, they didn't even really play well. They only had a couple of spells towards the end of the first half. They were all from Son, really, from him running into the channels. He had two shots. He also won the free kick and the slightly controversial penalty to get Spurs in it. But Spurs just... It was almost like they couldn't cope with Arsenal doing what Spurs had done to Chelsea the the previous week. Yeah, it was extraordinary how the intensity had risen. I mean, you say there's always an entertaining game, but it was so much more intense. You had uh, incredible noise from the crowd. You had real passion, all the handbags from the players. Mike Dean, it had everything you could want, really, from and some great goals as well. Yeah, some really great goals. I mean, the funny thing was... Despite there being six goals, I don't think it was a game of that many chances. I can't really remember anyone missing any good chances or the goalkeepers making saves. There was just some very good shots and some obviously set pieces. But yeah, it was it was excellent. And it did feel like the start of something slightly different for Arsenal. I think the supporters have always so far been on board with Emery and his, his philosophy, but it's always been a kind of like polite nodding along. Results have been good, performances not so great. And this was the first real statement performance if you like a really big win in you know traditionally their biggest home game of the season so Mm. it it felt like quite a significant day for Arsenal as you say a blistering start from the Gunners and then the moment they took the lead somebody yelled who saw Tim Sherwood's combined 11 and uh, Jan Vertonghen sticks his hand up and and, and all of a sudden it's a it's a penalty but Leno gets burnt by uh, that dire header it is near post and he does the celebration. That went went well for him. Yeah, um, pride cometh before a fall. Yeah, uh, it and was, the melee as well. I quite enjoyed that. I'm yeah. not, I know I shouldn't say that, but I, I do enjoy that sort of nonsense from a derby, especially. So the North London derby is, is traditionally a very good game because you know Arsenal and Tottenham Hotspur like to play attacking football. Mm. They, uh, due to the vitriol between them, they both don't really want to do shut up shop and play counter attacking football like you get from other derbies normally involving Manchester United, um, Arsenal and Spurs, while both enjoying attacking football, both through the last decade have always had very noticeable weaknesses and fragilities in certain areas of the pitch. So in this game, especially Tottenham Hotspur, yeah, they're lethargic because it was their third game in eight days, but they had no idea how to deal with Arsenal's wingbacks. Serge Aurier was atrocious in mm. that game. He didn't know what to do when it was being doubled up on. He was dragging Juan Foyth out wide for the free kick 
um, that Jan Vertong eventually gave away the penalty, what you had was Aurier making a mistake, Foyth going wide to try and cover up the mistake, Foyth messing about. When the free kick is given, Aurier turns to Foyth and yells at him, which is a real, like, no, he's, he's, this is fourth game in the Premier League. Yeah. You're the older guy here. You should be telling him, come on, chin up. Let's, get, let's play some more football. And then you have Jan Vertonghen, who's just come back from injury. It's his first start in quite a while and just having a brain fart. All right. Do you, it was a penalty then. He slides in on, on Sun. That was a penalty? No, I didn't think so. No. Okay. I, th- I mean... It was soft. I didn't think there was that much contact, was there? I thought it was a penalty real-time, so I'm not blaming Mike Dean, but I, I didn't think it was. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, that enabled Spurs to take the lead, perhaps unjustly. But then uh, that Obama Yang... Wow. First time shot. That was extraordinary. Yeah, it was good. It was a really good finish. And he probably hasn't got enough credit, really, for, for arriving in the Premier League and just straight away being on it in terms of his goal scoring. It was interesting as well, uh, in a tactical sense. I mean, both sides played slightly surprised systems. The systems they played the previous week, but unusual for them. And then both changed their system twice. Mm. And each time it was Arsenal changing and Spurs having to react. And I've always thought, well last two or three years I've thought of Spurs as the most tactically flexible team in the in the Premier League but this was Arsenal really dictating the tactical battle and two changes at half time it's always a little bit too tempting to say oh this kind of thing wouldn't happen under Wenger I'm sure we can go back and find a Wenger half time double change but it was Arsenal you know taking the initiative and I'm bringing on, um, you know, Lacazette and Ramsey, who were, right. were very important in the second half. Yeah, so Ramsey sets up to the other, the Lacazette goal, very impressive as well. Obama Yang, though, just a couple of stats on him. He won 100% of his tackles. Also, the last goalkeeper to save a shot on target from Obama Yang was Lucas Fabianski 99 days ago, back in August, in fact. I think his Amazing. conversion rate is something around 40% right now, which, um, as a reference point, Anything above 15% is good to great for a striker. And Messi is, you know, the world's greatest at putting away his chances and only really puts away about 20%. So Ober is putting away his shots at a ridiculous, un- possibly unsustainable rate. However, he's always had form for finishing at a ridiculous rate. So the great thing about Arsenal is they, they just have the best boxers chance from all of the top four challenges. I mean, they've got better two strikers than Chelsea, than Tottenham Hotspur, than arguably Liverpool at the moment with, right. the, with the way their front three isn't really clicking. And, the, and that's what happens when you've got such an abundance of attacking talent that Wenger largely assembled and has now bequeathed to Emery, who's right. using them fab- fabulously. That Aubameyang finish, that first uh, first time finish, reminded me of kind of Adebayor and his pump where we were just out of nowhere, he'd just click and he'd be there and before the goalkeeper was even set and obviously Luis was basically moving the wrong way and it makes him look foolish. There's that kind of ex- immediate explosion of finish. Um, but actually, he, in his defence, he can do a bit more than that. He's not just a, you know, he's not just a finisher. And when Lacazette comes on, the record of those two on the same pitch, I mean, I don't know what Henry Mkhitaryan has got on Unai Emery, but he was quite, he was all right yesterday, Mkhitaryan, but if they can find a way to fit Lacazette into that team instead of Mkhitaryan shape-wise... Uh, and it probably involves Mesut Ozil continuing to be left out the side, then right. they've got something special there. Well, Are I they... don't know if it does, actually. Because, I mean, the, the shape that they s- shifted to was a three-four-one-two, which you think would be perfect for Ozil, really. He's I mean, awesome. in terms of system, mm. I, I appreciate there seems to be some kind of issue there. In the press conference afterwards, uh, Emery was not keen to chat about Was this Ozil. the bit where he was asked why he wasn't there? He said he's got a back problem. Where did he get the back problem? I don't know. Was yeah. he here today? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Always, always be slight. Slight raised eyebrow when someone a player has a back injury because yeah. back injuries are very hard to test. Good you know, to know. If I poke you in the back, does that hurt? Mm. I don't know. It's up to you to decide if it does. Um, that's not to say Ozil didn't fancy it. I think he- we all read your meaning here, Carl. <laughs> um, Arsenal have Man United uh, next. Is that soft enough for Ozil to get a run out in? Yeah, yeah. I, I can't. I cannot. Although they've got a terrible record against... When is it? 2006, I think, last time they won away at Old Trafford, Arsenal. Manchester United are so bad right now, Juan Mata has stopped blogging. And that's the most succinct way Damn. I can put how bad Manchester United are right now. All right. Well, Arsenal move into the top four. Unbeaten in 19, is it now? Is it yes. Yeah? yeah. And the only team to outscore them are Man City, naturally. Have you got a verdict on the Gunners after this kind of statement win, Michael? Or something you want to say about Spurs? No, I was just going to say that I think, um, you know, the real, the two new heroes for Arsenal, if you like, amongst the crowd. I mean, there aren't that many established long-serving players. The captain at the moment is Granit Xhaka. Arsenal have four other captains who were not involved, which seems to be Arsenal's tradition now. The captain doesn't get involved. I thought Torreira was really good again. And 
to contradict myself again, something that wouldn't have happened under Wenger is they wouldn't have signed a player from Syria. Because if you look at Wenger's, Wenger's record, I think he only ever signed three players from Syria who were Henri Vieira. Well, I was going to say one was Thierry Henri, which <laughs> yeah. didn't work out too badly. No, but my point is, yeah, they were Henri, the fact he knew him from France. Yeah. Vieira, he knew him from France. And then Flamini, who was coming back. Right. So he never once signed a player on the basis of their Serie A performances mm. because he wasn't convinced that Serie A was played at a high enough tempo for players to adjust. So I don't think this signing would have been made under Wenger. Okay, you mentioned the fact that he's bequeathed... Oh, sorry, I think it might have been you, Carl. Mentioned the fact that he's bequeathed a great side, Dunai Emery, who's certainly using it well, but Wenger still deserves some credit for this side, except perhaps for the situation with Ramsey. I mean, watching yesterday's game, it seems bizarre that the club aren't keeping him and will still have, presumably, Mesut Ozil on their books next year. Yeah, it does seem strange. And I think Ramsey's attitude is excellent. I mean, Ramsey is just a very professional player. He's on and off the pitch. I think he's he's well-liked at Arsenal. And he hasn't made any fuss during this slightly awkward contract situation. And did genuinely change the game, I thought, yesterday. Came on and, and provided two contributions for goals. So, yeah, he was he was excellent. And uh, he he was getting involved in the in the squabbles in the first half as well. So, I think he was probably quite <laughs> fired up. And Eric Dyer was telling him to sit down back on the bench, I think. So, imagine when he got up off the bench, he was quite keen to make an impact. Excellent. All right, well, he moves uh, with his teammates into the top four ahead of Spurs on goal difference. And there's a real chasm Eight points between the top five and the next two teams who are Everton in sixth and Man United. Eight points off the Champions League places, 16 points off City. United having conceded more goals than West Ham and only one fewer than Huddersfield. As we mentioned, they're facing Arsenal next. Their last game finished 2-2 away at Southampton. Uh, which resulted in the Southampton manager being dispatched. We'll talk about all of that business after this. So, Monday morning, adios, Mark Hughes. Carl, are you surprised? No, not at all. Mark Hughes is a bad football manager. He's got 32 points from his last 40 games. He's the first manager now to be sacked twice in the same calendar year, having been removed from Stoke and now Southampton. In 2000. 13-14 he was a mediocre average manager and now the Premier League has far better managers and he's no longer fit for purpose and any team that considers hiring him in the future should be reprimanded for it. Really? You don't think there's a place from anywhere in the pyramid? No, he's not Premier League standard anymore. Well, okay, not not, not in the Premier League then. Uh, with the the word on, on people who might be coming in to, to take over, David Moyes has expressed an interest. I'm sure a lot of other managers have uh, Daniel, you're more intrigued by a possibility from overseas. Yeah, Ralph Hasenhutl apparently, according to the, the Daily Telegraph, is their first choice. Um, I kind of think that's a nice, well, as, a, as a neutral, it, mm. it feels quite nice that they're not going for a, you know, a, a firefighter. Everton have just managed to break out of that firefighter cycle, and it would be nice to see Southampton do the same. Uh, uh, for Hughes. Uh, His problem is is that he turned Southampton into a club with no identity and and at their peak, and it's not that long ago, it's two, three years ago, they at least were a club with an identity. He he basically turned them into Stoke City and that is incredibly derogatory to Stoke City, but as that kind of club that doesn't really stand for anything kind of tactically or... um, or with any sort of philosophy. And I mean, I think he probably will get a, a decent-sized championship job. He, he's He's been slightly done over other than getting a payoff. He's been slightly done over in that if he'd have left Southampton at the end of last season, I think he would have probably got another Premier League job as that the kind of new breed of firefighter to replace Allardyce and Pardew in that club. But having stayed on, it's gone pretty badly since. Right. Hasenhutl... <laughs> Bless you. Is of course, is of course the man who worked one as a RB Leipzig before departing that club at the end of last season. As he's currently kind of sitting around taking pictures of cats and that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that sounds a great shout. But uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, that was only half the story. What happened with Saints, who've now gone and scored. I mean, the kind of curious thing about this was this decision came amid signs of life from Saints. They they scored two goals away at Fulham lost uh, and then they scored they had that brilliant opening here uh, Nathan Redmond dribbling in past five or six Man United players and then Obafemi dribbling back out again past the same five or six <laughs> Man United players and then serving the ball to Stuart Armstrong who's a real discovery he's now got what three goals in two games yeah I thought Southampton were quite exciting actually the first uh First half hour, I thought their system worked well with those three buzzing rounds. I mean, I personally, I am surprised by the Hughes sacking, firstly, because, and maybe they've learned the lessons from last year when they took too long, but 
the timing is strange. You know, this this in itself wasn't a bad result, and they've got a game in midweek. I mean, yeah, D- Duncan, Spurs yeah, well. Duncan was on this podcast, I think, on Thursday, and said, "Well, he won't go after this week because they've got this midweek round." Indeed, and, he did, and they've surprised us all. <laughs> he won't be invited back. <laughs> yeah, so they've surprised us all. So, yeah, it was strange timing, but it was it was a decent performance from Southampton, and right. I thought United were quite lucky to get back into it. Really, do you know what else was a surprise? That free kick from Cedric who apparently was taking there his first ever free kick in the Premier League in his 100th appearance. Well, he should do it more often, no? Yeah, and you could tell that that was a surprise by Mark Hughes' reaction on the bench. Did he what? smile? No, he, he, he went like... It was an expression of say, oh, OK... When it went in, it wasn't a celebration. It right. was a. Did he unfold his arms? <laughs> I think he did. Well, yes, because he was in a kind of, you know, right. arms either side of him kind of expression. But uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see who they get in because, like Daniel says, they do need an identity. And uh, the Leipzig manager, whose name is Ralph Hasenhudel, is renowned for you know heavy pressing, and that's the kind of way they played under Pochettino, and they're very good. And Kuman kind of kept that, and they're you know still pretty good. They need they need some kind of plan, I think, in the final third. Pochettino, who they'll be facing again on Wednesday. Let's talk about Man United then. Uh, Mourinho says he doesn't have any mad dogs, which is surprising because he always has a bitch afterwards, doesn't he? <laughs> wow, that is excellent. <laughs> that is very good. <laughs> Um, but was it the players' fault again, or is there a common theme? Do you think developing? Well, I think I've probably said before when the problem with Mourinho at the moment is that he's he's enforcing this season mentality thing, which only works if you've got every, all of your key players on side. And the problem is, is he's alienated most of those key players. And when he comes out after the young boys' game, uh, which was a dreadful performance but a win, and says this is a message to the lovers of stats, and this is a message to my critics, um, kind of taking responsibility for the victory taking credit for the victory and then when they then draw the next game against Southampton showing no signs of any uh, cohesion from game to game and then says well I've got no mad dogs and reportedly according to you know a leaked report to a journalist who is close to him mm. um, said that Pogba was a virus who was sapping the energy out of honest you players you don't play you re- don't respect players and supporters and you kill the mentality of the good honest people around you yeah. yeah, I mean that 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 could be the epitaph on Mourinho's own grave. Let's mm, face right. it. Carl, what do you think? Oh, he's he's abysmal. We Who would the... you rather have as a manager, him or, or Sparky Hughes? <laughs> <laughs> him, obviously. Uh, yeah, yeah, I will take Mourinho. Um, okay, but it. it do you I know they've, they've picked you've... up in the last six Premier League games as many points as Cardiff. Fantastic. <laughs> I think Daniel's mentioned this before about how Manchester United only really seem to understand what they're doing when they go behind because mm. that's when personal pride for the players kick in and they're like, oh God, this is embarrassing if we lose. Let, let's play so we're not embarrassed. And then, so, with second half, when they get to 2-2, you'd think they take the initiative and continue playing with the slight tist of intensity they had that they ended the first half with. There was nothing. No spark. No energy. Romelu Lukaku continues to be bullied for his bad touch. Um, it was the interesting thing about Lukaku is you know, as I've mentioned before after the, the Juventus game was he is he's a lot bigger than he was this time last season and yeah. he seems he hasn't quite figured out how that works it, much like a teenager who's just had a growth spurt and doesn't realise body swap movies like with yes. Tom Hanks and he just can't quite flail his he's flailing his limbs and not understanding what's going on he does he came into that ball that he nearly injured himself with so quickly and he couldn't slow down to the way the way he used to because he's probably just been carried by all that extra momentum mm. which is weird to, to describe you know Belgium's top scorer and, yeah. and an elite footballer as just a overgrown it teenager was, it was a question though that was puzzling us just last week uh, because of the long drought this was what his first goal in 12 games almost a thousand minutes on the pitch 11 weeks whichever of those numbers you you prefer and we were kind of questioning why the drop-off and that the subject of his size came up but I, I mean I think it's a quite a common theme among United players you'd certainly put Pogba in that category and you know f- although Mourinho's words may have been misplaced his performance was pretty yeah, well, and, viral in the wrong sense yeah and you have to you have to look beyond those players because it, it, as it, again as I've, I've, I'm sure I've said on this podcast it, it's not a question of downing tools that's such an oversimplification of the issue it's not that players either play or don't play it's a it's it's shades of grey and if if you've got a manager that constantly takes credit for the victories and refuses to do anything other than a portion blame to you for defeats or draws then at what point do you, 
does your motivation get starved? This is we've seen with Pogba exactly what happened with Eden Hazard in 2015-16, which is in flashes of and moments of games, he still has the talent that we see, but the general product is diminished because he doesn't feel cherished. And you know, it might sound very modern football that players need to be cherished in that way just to even play well but that's the reality that's how it works now so that's that i I find that the fact that this seems like a new phenomenon bizarre treat your employees well and you'll get better performance (laughs) is is part of the cause for nearly every single industry and with pogba there was there's a moment that went shared on a lot of television where he basically took too, too many touches and gets shrugged off the ball and loses possession. If you look at what he, he takes four or five scans of the pitch, realises there's no runners, more or less goes, all right, I'll walk down a corridor then and then gets shrugged off the ball, which is a common theme for a lot of Manchester United's play. And at the moment, the only person who's really going, I'm just going to keep going and hope something happens is Marcus Rashford because he's young enough to go, maybe dad will hug me if I keep trying my best. When mm. a bit the older player's like, no, this guy... Get oh, that's dead. really sad. <laughs> that's my football team right now. I'm quite yeah. depressed. Okay. Well, so what, what do you think is going to happen when when Arsenal uh, visit them on on Wednesday? That Wednesday? Yeah. I think Alba and Lacazette are going to feast upon really whatever central defensive pairing or triplet Mourinho will have. I think it will be an easy two goal swing. Really? Oh, this. And what do you do? You think that might be? You know, in a week that's already seen one dismissal, do you think that might be the final straw? The the, the look on Ed Woodward's face when when Saint, I can't remember which goal it was, but watching Saints take that two 0 lead was spook volumes. I think the young boys' victory had assured Mourinho's place until at least 2019. I think we're now waiting for the Moyes clause to kick in, where essentially once it becomes mathematically impossible for Manchester United to get into the Champions League, right. then Mourinho will be released because I'm assuming there is something in his contract that makes it cheaper than £30 million to remove him. I see. OK, what about Saints and their visit to Spurs? And just, and, I mean, you say you're surprised. Any idea why they decided to make this decision now? Maybe something to do with the successor. I don't know. I mean, it was interesting, and it's a different club, but it was interesting that Fulham just did it in one. They announced the new manager as yeah. they sat their last one. Um, and you'd I think th- you'd think that would be the way to do it, right? It is, and I, I think clubs have learned. There's been a few examples going back a few years now, but do you remember when Wolves sat McCarthy, was it? And then they had a search for new manager and just couldn't find anyone, so they just didn't have a manager for the rest of the season. Everton had the elongated spell before oh, Sam yeah. Allardyce came in. I think yeah. clubs want to avoid that now, and I think clubs are now actively scouting managers in the same way they scout players but going who is the best person in for this profile and perhaps Southampton have found their man in Germany yeah, possibly but, but then uh, the counter to that point is that if they had if that's what was happening you'd think that they would have announced Harsen, unless Harsen maybe, maybe they have by the time this podcast goes out possibly although I, which producer Ben works I suspect possible. I suspect the, the the bigger issue for a new manager is that playing Spurs maybe isn't the first game you oh. want as an opponent maybe they want a slightly easier fixture alright then alright we'll, we'll, we'll have a quick pause and then Cardiff Wolves so that result was their eighth nil-nil in a row, and we've even had reports of fans falling asleep in their seats. Stuart is at the game, joins us now on the line. Stuart? Stuart? Sounds like Stuart needed paddy power, because with our new Same Game Multi, you can combine multiple bets from the same game, so everything is exciting. Plus, you'll get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold Same Game Multi lets you down. Paddy power. Enough of the nonsense. Applies to pre-match fourfold plus Same Game Multi bets. First qualifying bet only. Max free bet £10 per customer per day. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Be On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Congratulations to Cardiff who pick up their first, well, their, their first back-to-back set of home wins in the top flight since 1962. 61. Incredible! Oh. And what a goal from Junior Hoylet. That's a blast from the past, quite literally. No, he hasn't scored, I don't think, in the Premier League for since he was at QPR, I believe. Is that right? In 2012. Yeah, a long time. They... And all of this one day before. Go on, Daniel. Yeah, it's a birthday present for a seventieth birthday present for Neil Warnock, who, um, if he has did have a present list, I suspect winning from behind against the the promoted team who have been lauded as the greatest promoted team ever, and a manager in Nuno who he had a very public touchline oh, fight yes. with last season, <laughs> would probably have been top of that list. Um, yeah. yeah, Cardiff are. I, I kind of tweeted slightly 
Riley, but th- there is kind of a message that's gone around the, the bottom half that Huddersfield sent that, that Cardiff followed on, that if you get into Wolves, you can kind of unnerve them. Actually, Wolves' biggest problem is that they look absolutely dreadful in the final third. Raul Jimenez is doing a kind of Alvar Morata impression of sitting on the floor for a large proportions of the game and looking very frustrated and... The central midfield of Neves and Martino is getting just getting overrun. Neves is going to be suspended for their next game, which yeah. is against Chelsea. That'll be mm. interesting. They slip down to 12th now. Cardiff are now two points clear of the bottom three. Extraordinary. I think it's quite funny that you were chatting last week, can't remember which podcast it was, about how uh, Wolves had a record number of Portuguese players. And mm. Those of us remember Portugal before Ronaldo. Great from you know defence midfield, good goalkeeper, just couldn't score goals. <laughs> Didn't have anything up front, and it is it's like a Portuguese team. Yeah, Raul Jimenez is very much playing the Pauletta <laughs> role. <laughs> exactly. Mm. Is Nuno now way ahead of Warnock in the sack race? We started off the season with everybody thinking it was a matter of time for Neil Warnock. Well, but... the, the big two in the sack race have gone now. I mean, Fulham and Southampton have. I think they're the only clubs who were massively, massively underperforming it and really were in those managers were in danger. I don't think Nuno. Will go. I don't actually think Wolves are doing that much wrong, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think they've broadly played quite well. There haven't been many games where they've been outplayed. It is just seemingly a, a problem in the final third. So we'll have to see whether Mr. Mendes has any uh, has any you know goal scoring wingers up his sleeve because that's <laughs> that's what they need. Well, a, a nice bit of perspective because they are seven points clear of, of of the bottom three and they are a newly promoted side. So as you say, not doing too much wrong elsewhere. City beat Bournemouth three one as we mentioned. Chelsea. 2-0 win over Fulham in, in their derby early on Sunday. And Daniel, I think there's something you're keen to say about this. Well, I think I've probably owe a little bit of a mere couple because I'm pretty sure I said it somewhere that Sarri got a lot of criticism last week for, for Kante's role or non-role in the, in the game against Spurs. Kind of up the pitch, not really offering an awful lot for, for an all-action midfielder and Jorginho kind of being swamped at the base of midfield. But... Within two or three minutes of kickoff, Kante wins the ball high up the pitch. Mm. And by doing that, it then means there's only one pass into Pedro and suddenly Chelsea are 1-0 up. And yeah, I'm not sure if doing it against Fulham, the leakiest no. defence in the Premier League, means you can, you know... No, but then that, but that is Sarri's vision for how that works. Uh-huh. Um, he believes in time Kante can play that kind of... It was Allen, wasn't it, at Napoli that would do that and can kind of become that player. And and he probably thinks that if there's if there's if there's a more rounded central midfield player in the Premier League than Kante then you know you would struggle to find one so I think it probably can work but just a word of defence because I think everyone was kind of piling on No for sure for sure Uh, Pedro scoring and Matt Davis-Adams was asking given that he's scored in 30 matches for Chelsea and Chelsea have won 29 of them and drawn the other i.e. never lost when Pedro scored is there any other good examples or are there any other good examples of players who are lucky charms boom comes a reply from a certain Carl Anker who uh, mentions Carl? Janinho. Janinho. Uh, Pernambucano. Thank you very much. Uh, from Leon, who in his eight-year spell at Leon, if he ever scored a free kick, of which he scored many, 44 in total, uh, Leon never lost a game. They never lost a game he scored a free kick in? Yeah. That's remarkable. Master of the dead ball. Yeah, nice one. Um, can I say something about the Kante thing? Please do. Well, the strange thing is, if you look at the positioning of the midfield, in that situation, he was actually the deepest of the three. I mean, okay. he was playing as the defensive midfielder in that passage of play. Jorginho was ahead of him to the right. So, I mean, I'm completely on board with with what Sarri's trying to do, but I'm not sure it really proves that point. It proves that he can win the ball when he's playing in the position that Sarri isn't actually playing him in. Right, against Fulham. Yeah, if you mm. want. OK. <laughs> um, nothing against Fulham. It'd be interesting to see how they get on against Leicester, of, of course. I think they did look very different. I mean, there was no sign of the kind of passing patterns we'd become accustomed to against Jukanovic. It was long balls to Mitrovic and flick-ons for Sessegnon. So, mm. you know, Ranieri will have to improve the defence because I think there's been a big step back in terms of what they're doing for the forward. Yeah. OK. Well, so Leicester up next. They beat Watford 2-0. Steve Temple says, would love it if you could give some coverage to the Watford-Leicester banner. The moment it was passed across the heads of the Watford fans and taken by the Leicester supporters was marvellous. The banner, can't remember the exact wording, said, thank you, Vichai, yeah, for... A, a reason to dream, I think, was the Rest in peace. Line, yeah. And then it should be said that the Leicester owner top, the son of Vichai, then immediately rang downstairs and promised free food and drink for all the away end, which mm. I'm sure the catering staff thanked him many times <laughs> over for. Imagine this surge. I was just imagining this surge in sort of the 35th minute when they heard about it. Everyone just leaving the game and just going down and getting a free yeah. burger. 
But, yeah, nice touch. It was, and, and, and that moment, as Steve says, when you know, the fans unite in, in, in that act of commemoration. James Madison with a lovely goal. Watford, uh, their run, miserable run continues. Shall we move on to Crystal Palace, who got a home win for the first time in, like, forever? Yeah. I thought this was really interesting because I think Palace have been quite good this season and been let down by the finishing, a little bit like Saints, a little bit like Wolves. But I don't think this win is remotely reassuring because the nature of the goals, you know, they're basically playing the system. They haven't got any centre forwards. So they're playing two wingers up front and kind of two central midfielders out wide. One goal came from a hopeful cross that misses everyone and goes in. And one goal comes from a brilliant effort from Townsend. But we all know that Townsend needs 30 attempts to do that. And it probably won't happen again for the next 10 or 15 games. So He's going to do that even more now. He, yeah. he's sort of uh, <laughs> the, the, the store brand Iron Robin attempt is what he does. And the annoying thing is when it does go in, you go, oh, no, he's going to do that way more. <laughs> a word on Burnley who are cataclysmically bad defensively. They the most the team that conceded the most shots last season was Stoke, which was five seventy, I think, in the Premier League, or five seven nine. Burnley conceded five seventy. Burnley are on course to concede eight hundred and ten this season. Which is Really? Uh, yeah, I mean they just they're basically last season they, they blocked loads of shots and that's how they hardly conceded any goals comparatively they're still doing that they still lead the Premier League in blocks shots but they're just they're conceding so many shots that they just haven't got a chance Sean Dice says they've lost the eye of the tiger bum 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 absolutely um, I mean insert your you know rising up etc <laughs> thing uh, here because it's Liverpool up next for Burnley I carumba alright just before we touch on the final game of the weekend which was your favourite goal? In the last two, three days, Carl, you've got the extraordinary Aubameyang effort. You've got that from Townsend. Obviously, Divock Origi's the winner, <laughs> but let's pretend... Uh, um, I'm going to take Torreira. Lucas Torreira's yeah. goal was, was superbly taken, and that that is the best image of the weekend's football, just him with his shirt off. Nice one. Dan, did you have a favourite? We only just mentioned him. I think James Madison's. He mm. started the move, really nice counter-attacking. Mm-hmm. And then I think he probably does get a little bit lucky with one of his touches over a defender, but the volley was... It was kind of Gaza Scotland, Luke right. over and volley. It was, yeah, really good. Absolutely. Michael? I was going to say that one, actually. I really like the pass from Albrighton because mm. Albrighton's such a good crosser and just the way the ball was rolling, you could see how excited he was to wrap his foot around it. It was mm. lovely. I must admit, I would pick Aubameyang just because it was, you know, it was that category of goals I've never seen anything quite like that before, yeah. and it came so out of the blue. I just totally wasn't expecting that at all. Um, anyway, uh, Newcastle West Ham saw three goals, two from Chicharito. Ole, I-, I thought this was a really great performance from West Ham, and I think it was interesting that they used Hernandez up front with Arnautovic just behind because they haven't really played that way. But when Hernandez has come on. Um, as a super sub he's just combined really well with Arnautovic they've got a really good relationship and the first goal it looks like dreadful defending from Newcastle and it is because they leave him unmarked six yards out but when you look at the movement from Arnautovic it's really clever and I do think sometimes it's teams have got quite accustomed to playing two against one against just one striker and when you put two strikers up there with good movement which they both have they almost don't know what to do. He saw that a little bit with Tottenham yesterday as well mm. because Pochettino felt compelled to then go to three at the bat with Eric Dyer dropping in. But Arnautovic is in really, really good form and, and playing a slightly deeper role now because he's become an out-and-out striker. But his combination play with Hernandez and, and Felipe Anderson was fantastic as well. Mm. There's one reverse pass to Hernandez, I think, that was just so good. Like You know when you're watching yeah, on no TV, look. you get sent the wrong way because yeah. your eyes have gone across the screen. It's so good. Sigurdsson did one of them as well for yeah. Walcott. People have this thing, they think no-look passes are showboating. If you ever play five-a-side against someone who does that, it's mind-blowingly good, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> oh, magnificent. All right, well, uh, that was the weekend in the Premier League. Of course, the weekend took place in other countries as well. We'll be hearing what happened in those after this. Listeners, our friends at Beer52 are back with a special offer to make Christmas that little bit more magical or indeed manageable by offering you a case of craft beer for free. We love Beer52 here at the Totally Football Show. They're the largest craft beer club on the planet and search out exclusive small batch booze from the world's greatest breweries and bring them back for their members. This month, Beer52 is offering up a selection of Bristol's finest light and dark beers such as Firebrand's Juicy 5.5% New England IPA, the hazy and hoppy Kellner Pilsner from Lost and Grounded, and Harbour's citrusy Ellensburg Session IPA. If all that sounds like your type of thing, sign up now at beer52.com football and you'll get eight spectacular craft beers, some delicious bar snacks and Beer52's award-winning magazine ferment. 
All you have to do is pay £5.95 for next day delivery. And if you decide that after this free taster that the club isn't for you, there's no catch. You can leave Beer 52 at any time. Just head to beer52.com slash football and enter the code FOOTBALL to claim your free case today. That's beer52.com slash football. Well, let's start off with a little bit of Football League. How did Sol Campbell do in his first game in charge? Macclesfield were playing at Exeter and they won 1-0. Although Sol wasn't actually... Yeah, was say, yeah, he, wasn't he was in the stands, yeah. you know. But his presence, mm. the, the looming presence of one of the best brains in football was there and surely having an influence after his, um, well, you know, a, a confident press conference. It has been an odyssey to get Sol Campbell his first professional coaching job in, in in the football league and and I am very much of the opinion if he was white he would not be starting at the bottom of the football league in the pyramid and he would have a better job he's taking this job I am slightly worried because Macclesfield I don't believe that's a particularly good squad I think they're on course to be relegated and I think that if that does happen it can cause a Another chorus of see what happens. Black managers aren't very good, but all power to Do Sol think, Campbell. I don't know. I think Sol Campbell's a. Um, I wonder if people would just go look. That's what happens if you give Sol Campbell a job rather than anything else. I'd hope so, but I I do still hear people talk about Paul Ince's spell in management mm. about and how that's evidence of black football players not being particularly technically erudite. Right. All power to Sol Campbell. Keep doing the. Interesting things you do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, well, it's a good start anyway, however much he was involved with it, for struggling uh, Macclesfield. There'll be more from Caroline Barker and co. Uh, in the Totally Football League show, of course, that's available on Tuesday, when you can also hear, of course, the Totally Scottish Football show, Andrew Slaven, JJ Bull and Laura Brannan will have on their agenda Celtics win over Aberdeen in the League Cup final. Rangers, in Celtic's absence, moving into the uh, top spot in the Scottish Premiership. A 2-1 win over the previous leader's hearts with uh, 10 men. Uh, <laughs> what did you say it like that? If Hassel ever manages hearts, you've got a show there. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, but, you know, breaking hearts, really. Uh, fourth defeat in a row for them. Anyway, so more on Monday evening or Tuesday as you prefer with the Totally Scottish Football Show. As yet, we don't have a totally Bundesliga show, but it's surely only a matter of time that we can get Raphael and, and, and people round a table talking about incredible things like that Jaden Sancho double spin thing. Did you see? For Dortmund, Bundesliga leaders, their 2-0 win over Freiburg. What, what a moment. He, he is very much a South London street footballer. You can, you can see in quite a few players now um, that come from the, the concrete pitches of, of Croydon and Peckham and, and whatnot of just, oh, okay, well, there's two people in front of me and the goal's that way. I'm just going to dribble through you. It's it's wonderful. But it's, 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 yeah, but he, he doesn't even dribble. He does, the, he does the spin out of one and then meets another couple of defenders and does the spin past them as well. It's brilliant. It's like watching a, a washing machine or something make its run. <laughs> yeah. Or like a sort of combine harvester, just like a whirling kind of... <laughs> Dortmund are yeah. seven points top. It, it is also particularly interesting seeing that Sancho's emergence has sort of put Christian Pulisic somewhat in the sidelines yeah. now as well, which I don't. American uh, soccer fans are not particularly happy about that. Just sort of, oh no, there's another Wonder Kid. Yeah. <laughs> They've got some scouts at Dortmund, haven't they? Paco Alcacer, meanwhile, uh, came on uh, just for a change and scored. That's his 11th in 11. I think he's, well, yeah, it's a goal every 49 minutes. So I'm not sure what you're saying about Aubameyang's strike rate per chance, but uh, Paco Alcacer has got to be up there. It is very much up there. And again, it, it speaks of, as I said previously when I was here, uh, Lucian Favre teams just completely breaking all statistical models of just, yeah, we're going to score more goals than we're supposed to and, and defend far better than we're supposed to because, by all accounts, Favre hugs his players. Yeah, there you go. And he was effectively Aubameyang's replacement, albeit five mm. months down the line. Mm. Seven points then the gap between Dortmund and their fellow Borussia's Munchen Gladbach. Then you've got RB Leipzig. Then Bayern Munich, who are nine points off the lead. Now, Aaron Robin announcing that he's going to leave the club at the end of the season. He showed midweek, of course, that he's still got it. It being it being that little dink in from the, from the right and then the drop shoulder and then, hey, presto, pulls in the back of your neck. I really, really hope he goes back to Groningen, but I suspect a, a, a move to the Chinese Super League is oh, no. in the pipeline. He could do a job mm. in, in yeah. a lot of clubs. He's still a brilliant player, Robin, and he's been a brilliant player for a long time. I know he had his injury problems, but you go back to Mourinho's first season at Chelsea, 
they were dreadful for the first two months. And then Robin came into the side having recovered from injury and immediately they were brilliant. He won the player of the month, I think, in his first month in the Premier League. Hmm. So he's been on that level, albeit with injuries for a long time. You go back to his first game for Bayern in 2009, comes on as a sub at half-time and him and Rubri score two... Well, he scores two goals, both assisted by Rubri on the counter-attack on his debut. And it's like, okay, this is what it's going to be for the next 10 years. Brilliant. It's the most you know statement debut I've ever seen. He's phenomenal. And if you've ever seen uh, a Bayern game or, or a Holland game, you can see Robin in, in the pre-match warm-up. He practices that all the time. It's like a box, really? It's like a boxer's jab, the way he drops his shoulder. And so the joke is how, how the defenders always fall for it. It's because he, it's more than one way he dips that shoulder. Mm. He's got four or five different variations like he's a top-level boxer of just... I'm just shimming now. You can't really see that. But just imagine a good boxer shimming his arms and, I don't know, top-level boxer. Right. Uh, Spain. Uh, whoops, because uh, on Thursday, I quoted reports that the Copa Libertadores final was going to be in Doha ahead of the Club World Cup. But uh, it's now set to be at the Bernabeu in Madrid. Although, well, mm. even though they've put tickets on sale on that, well, at least they've gone ahead and put tickets on sale, but River Plate are not happy with this at all because, you know, not unnaturally, they feel it's a bit rough on their supporters who, because of the actions of a minority, etc., are faced with missing what was meant to be the home leg of their biggest game in their history, etc. They also say it wasn't their fault. They say that if the police hadn't driven the Bocca bus down a, a notorious place for the ultras to hang out, that none of this would have happened anyway. So they're kind of absolving themselves of all blame, which right. is probably a little bit much. A little bit much. I mean, it wasn't the police that threw rocks. <laughs> and, mm. Yeah, It might have been the police that tear-gassed the players, but you know, you know, <laughs> these things happen. I don't know what's going to ha- go on with that. I, I must feel I don't feel happy with them playing. Not that it's anything to do with me but it doesn't seem right that game taking place in the Bernabeu I mean why I agree with you alright uh, it's particularly interesting that if, if the game doesn't go ahead in Argentina I think that pretty much nixes any chance Argentina will have to host the 2030 World Cup good I think going for that one are we talking about the 2030 World Cup already Argentina are said to be in the running for it and their argument is you know we have the stadiums we have the culture we have we have everything you would possibly need to host the World Cup we've done it before in interesting circumstances in 1978 right. but if you can't have the Copa Libertadores in Argentina yeah. there is no way they can have you, the World Cup you can't up. stage if it's, it's the kind of conditions that would be impossible to stage a, a World Cup in much like kind of 100 degree heat or <laughs> I'm just do you think FIFA still include any of those kind of normal logical judgments in their decisions where they assign but, no. I'm yeah, pulling no. a face. <laughs> okay, it'd be well, good news. It'd be good news for hmm. England though, because England will apply for that. Hmm. Okay, yeah. And in- incidentally, today England should uh, it should be confirmed that England will be hosting the Women's Euros in 2021. Okay. Um, I don't mean to sound too confident, but we're the only bidder. Um, the, <laughs> the, the announcement is due sometime today. All so right. that would be good because I think it's been a, lot, a while since there was a big football tournament here, and I think there's a, a, a feeling and a kind of spirit around the England national team that is. You know, it's coming home. Well, yeah, maybe, and maybe, maybe I'm going too far, but I kind of think it was started by the women's team and their their couple mm. of runs. There was a period where people were not on board with the England men's team, but mm. really got behind the England women's team. So it'd be good to have them on home. So, so very it, much so. It very much feels a bit like the end, last days of amateurism in rugby. So you've got a great collection of very, very talented, erudite, intelligent football players who also have jobs as lawyers and doctors and whatnot talking about their sheer love of football because they're all making the argument yeah if, if I was in it for the money I wouldn't be a footballer I'm in it for the love of the game um, yeah anyone interested in women's football I very much recommend just you know reading as much as you can ahead of the World Cup in France next mm-hmm. year Excellent. women's Ballon d'Or is this week I believe as well which is the first ever women's Ballon d'Or okay nice one I think I'm going to be meeting Danielle van der Donk Ah, of the double nutmeg. Of the double nutmeg, actually. Mm. Uh, I think she's going to be at the FSF Awards ah. this Monday evening. It's maybe Tuesday by the time you hear this, in which case I've already met her. It was amazing. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we were talking about Spain. Sevilla drew, Barca beat Villarreal, so Barcelona are back on top. Phew, that's a relief. Just one point clear of Sevilla. Atletico Madrid are three points off the top. Real Madrid are five from a pole position. Do you want do you want Japanese news? Are we did you want to go that niche? No. 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 All right, let me just say that that whole Fernando Torres, Sargon Tozu, he did manage to keep them up in the end. And David Villa is going out there now. 
to Japan. Oh, lovely. Well, they're good friends for you yeah. and Torres. There you go. Well, he's actually going to join Iniesta yeah. and Podolski yeah. at Vissel Kobe. Could still hang out there, can't they? You can hear more in the totally Japanese football <laughs> league show when we do that. Their wives Kinichiwa. are very good friends. Torres and Villa's wives are very close. Is that right? <laughs> Look at you with your wag knowledge. France. Drama as Paris Saint-Germain dropped points for the first time this season. 14 straight wins they'd had, and then it was a 2-2 draw. Away at Bordeaux, uh, PSG are now a narrow 14 points clear of second place Montpellier in league. Uh, Montpellier, who beat Thierry Henry's Monaco 2-1. In Italy, as Golazzo will recount when we return on Wednesday, Juve demolished Fiorentina in that big rivalry. Roma had a, a kind of a bitter 2-2 draw with Inter on Sunday night. It was one of the best, probably the best performance of the season, I would say, but they're up in arms over a pretty clear penalty that wasn't given early on, despite the presence of VAR on the sidelines. Milan, who were headed for comedy defeat of the season Thursday against uh, Dudelange. Uh, Dudelange, you will recall, hail from Luxembourg, Carl. And they went 2-0 up. <laughs> against Milan. Milan did the roar back and win 5-2. And they came from behind this weekend as well against Parma. 2-1 their victory uh, at home to the Panamagiani and they're now fourth. Elsewhere, Sam beat Bologna 4-1. Qualialella got a brace. He's 35, you know. Lovely. And uh, Pippo Inzaghi, the Bologna manager, is on the brink. He might have gone, I don't know. Palermo have been sold for £10. Yep. 10 euros actually to a London company isn't it well yeah they're a London it? registered kind of investment fund right it should be said that Zamparini the legendary Palermo owner who's been at the club let me get this right since 2002 and has been through at least 40 managers in that time has previously sold the club to a group of investors before American ones but then basically went back on the deal three months later <laughs> good I think largely because they appointed in his place this kind of 20-year-old with um, piercings and tattoos. Wasn't who, having that. <laughs> we, I don't think anybody was, really, because the guy was... I mean, initially it was quite amusing, but it just descended into chaos. Not, you know... Yeah, was which wasn't say, yeah. a pretty short Fine pan of fire. Yeah. I know this is about 15 years old and there's no point me complaining anymore, but... But... I thought the, the way he took over Palermo... Because he, he owned Vel- yeah. uh, Venezia and Palermo. Yeah. And Palermo were third tier yep. and Venezia were in the top tier and he basically just sold all his good players to Palermo he, like a, he shipped them down there didn't I, he I mean one of the most football like, manager ob- yeah just one of the most obviously disgraceful things yeah and he got Palermo up as a result for the yeah. first time in 30 years so in Sicily they were quite happy with him uh yeah I think it's because he had more supermarkets in Sicily than he did in Venice because he's yeah. Venetian okay. I think anyone with the Z at the start of their surname in Italy is, is from the that area Curiously, but uh, yeah, it was, it was because of his supermarkets. But do you know what? That that sounds ripe for a big old discussion on on Wednesday. <laughs> uh, also, Atlanta United and Portland Timbers, who will be contesting next Sunday's MLS Cup. Atlanta won the Eastern Conference, going through three one against New York Red Bulls on aggregate. The Timbers scored a 99th minute winner. Yikes, to make it 3-2 at Sporting Kansas City. Listener, you're probably thinking, wow, this all sounds really exciting, but I just don't know kind of who these teams are and what and why and all that. The great news is Kobe Jones and company have your back. They'll be along this week with a TFS American Edition special to give you everything you need to know uh, ahead of that massive game. Have you been following MLS, Carl? I have, I have. Uh, through my work with the Players' Tribune, I've been following MLS a lot more. Oh, nice. Um, we've got two fantastic pieces with Atlanta players, um, Joseph Martinez mm. and Almiron. Yeah, who's apparently going to Newcastle for oh, is he? Cause 25 million. They're, they're always raving about Almiron there. Yes. Um, he's the man who makes it all happen. He is, he's the best player in MLS. Uh, and Atlanta are heavy favourites. Uh, and what's interesting is Atlanta has... has essentially built this project on Tata Martino uh-huh. taking a, a, a collection of, of fantastic South American players by going, hey, you may remember me from my work I've done at Barcelona and the Argentinian team. Come here, we'll create a fantastic project. And and it's worked. Um, I was going to ask the Amaron, what can uh, Newcastle, how, how solid a, a, a story is that, do you think? Oh yeah, no, well, it should be said that it's it's a, just around the time of the year that Reports get leaked that Newcastle and Mike Ashley are preparing to spend big money to back ah, Rafa Benitez. So right. take everything with a large pinch of salt. But yeah, apparently they are one of clubs that are looking to... I think it would be a landmark sale for, for MLS in that um, he's kind of an MLS product and to sell him for £25 million is 
you know, it's, it's bigger than anything that they've done before in terms of player exportation. So. Mm. Oh, well, an interesting trend of um, Tyler Adams has just announced he's going to be leaving New York Red Bulls. And I believe, I forget this young man's name, but he's leaving the Vancouver Whitecaps to go to Bayern Munich. Oh, in yeah, January. yeah. Uh, Alfonso Davis. Yes. yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. No, he's definitely gone yeah. and he's already training with Bayern yeah. and he's he looks ex- extraordinary. Yeah. So it's, I mean, that's the kind of second phase yeah. of, of MLS development. Yeah. Which mm. is, is he being tipped as the new Owen Hargreaves? Very much so, yeah. Uh, I know, Carl, you're keen to talk about Euro 2020 and other sundry UEFA decisions, so let's just take a deep breath and come back with that after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Euro 2020, 10 groups, Michael, 55 countries. And there was a big draw the other day. It was exciting. England got an easy group. Czech Republic, Bulgaria, Montenegro and Kosovo. Uh, Ireland, there was a rueful smile from Mick McCarthy as he watched Ireland getting drawn out of the pot in a group with Netherlands and Germany. Only one team is guaranteed to go through, I think. Is that right? No, two each. Oh, two teams, but the Netherlands and Germany. Mm. But then... But then drama as they get put back in uh, because they something about you can't have two host cities or two host nations in the same group, and Dublin's going to host one of the games, and so they draw another team out, and who gets it? Group of death in their place, Northern Ireland. Wow. Anyway, all this excitement and it was exciting, overshadowed by UEFA's other big announcement, Carl of a third European Cup competition from 2021. Brilliant. So the Cup Winners' Cup is coming back, is it? Or the Intertoto Cup Plus, or something else. I'm uh, afraid it's the Europa League 2. Ah, fantastic. I'm, it's I'm, genuinely the Europa that is, League 2. That, that is the name. Yeah. Well, oh. that's the kind of working title. That's Do you know how a... for years people have said, A, the Europa League's actually not very good, and the, the really bad thing about it is the way that teams that are third in a, in a group in a higher competition drop into it. Well, they've decided to take both those lessons and 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 re- replicate it at a at a lower stage down. Sorry, I've said that really badly. They decided to take all that on board and basically do a Europa League two with the exact same mechanism. If you're third in your Europa League group, you might be thinking, "Thank goodness, this is all over," but it's not. I'm cautiously optimistic about this. Really? Tournament. About what? It's essentially it's not for the top one percent top ten percent of football teams in europe i don't think i think it's it's more for if you are a swiss team not called young boys or fc basel Mm. this is your chance to to play a european competition if you are a greek team that is not olympianikos or or panathinikos this is your chance to play european football yes it is a money spinning exercise yes it is for um numerous companies to sell their wares but if you are a football fan of the third best or the fourth best side of a team in a lesser, smaller European mm. league. Yeah, it's, it's a weekend away, if you wish. All right, if you wish, and if the club wishes. Of course, the lower you go down these divisions, the less likely they're going to be to be happy about having midweek uh, European commitments on the other side of of the continent. But I, I don't know. It's just the, the fact that you're going to drop teams in from the Europa League, the <laughs> yeah, third best the team in a Europa League group. That, that's the nonsense. But, I mean, it, that's done to give the tournament some... Uh, kudos as it goes towards the later stages if you've got teams that have underperformed in one competition that then become a household name in the second but the, the bit I like is including they're going to increase the number of countries of, of nations that are represented in European football so mm-hmm. that every UEFA nation will be represented in that's their aim, will be represented in a club competition in every season and that's fine but if you speak to you know, I'm not sure whether Bournemouth or Leicester will, if they finish eighth in the Premier League, eighth or ninth in the Premier League, may have a chance of qualifying for Europe. Which is, and if you turn down the place, what happens? I don't think you can really, but they, you wouldn't, would you? You just play a, a kids' team. Okay, I think. I think it's worth pointing out that the, the restructure will mean the Europa League one. Mm. You must now call it. We'll have fewer teams. That's true. So that, so that quality might rise, right? And you'll have some half-decent teams in the third competition. So but, two divisions of, of, of Europa League, effectively. Yeah, I expect it will be called something fancier it's than also, Europa League 2, but let's wait and see. It okay. should also be said that they're going to do it so this, they're both going to be played on a Thursday, but with staggered kick-off yeah, times, Yeah, 4.30 kick-off times. So it's going to be, you can have both competitions on the same night, which is, so it's kind of a, which is why they've called it Europa League 2. They very much want those two to be together. Europa League 2. This mm. time it's 
Personal Someone's 30. got paid an awful That's lot of money to come up with that name yeah. as well. No, I'm yeah, intrigued just to see what the trophy looks like. Whether or not it will just look like the Europa League trophy, but with silver. Smaller. With a red graffitied two on the front. Oh, of it. yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. OK, producer Ben asks if Wrexham or Newport <laughs> could make it in. Well, do you know what? It, it's, it's possible because... Um, it's going to be up to the various national federations to just determine the criteria of which teams do get put through. It could be as a result of cup competition um, or, you know, any other, you know, alphabetical order. I'm not sure. Dance-off. These Le- are all options. Le- the English leagues removed the League Cup runners-up place in Europe and gave it to, in, for the Europa League, one and gave that to a league position. So that's one option, to give it to the... the the losing League Cup finalists, mm. which doesn't exactly sound glamorous. I think Fair actually, play. Um, <laughs> has to be, yeah. I think producer Ben just wanted to know about uh, my trip to the racecourse ground mm. on uh, Saturday, late Saturday. It was eight o'clock kickoff. <whistles> it was a thrilling. Um, it was a thrilling affair right up until kickoff. Actually, you had helicopters <laughs> whirring overhead. And the police were all over the place. I mean, everywhere, which I assumed because the, the neighbouring uh, university was holding a comic con. <laughs> so, you know, there were all sorts of types wandering around the streets. But anyway, then it, it, it all got going. And, and the big story was the fact that uh, uh, Wrexham's manager, uh, Sam Ricketts, actually, had been told not to turn up for this, their biggest mm-hmm. game of the year, because he's in, in talks with the League One Shrewsbury. Which it's unusual, isn't it? To say you know, club to go look. No, and he apparently he'd asked permission and everything. So that was a bit of a shock. Anyway, uh, that was about uh, as far as it went. There wasn't re- there were some good goal line clearances in that, but I it was goalless. What, and I think that's one of those one. games that's sometimes referred to as a bubble game, in that the police the the the, the police are so worried about violence that yeah. you can only turn up on an official supporters coach to the ground. Oh, really? You can't just walk up to the ground. Well, I walked up to the ground. Yeah, I mean, well, VIPs excluded. You know. But I didn't cause. I didn't kick off with anyone. <laughs> you said you can't take me alive. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it didn't seem that. I mean, I didn't. I passed but, by one or two officers and nodded right. you know, politely, but there was no ring of steel. Uh, Precisely, yeah. perhaps because they still do that, and if you can only go on a coach, it means that they've kind of oh, everyone's right, authorised. Sorry, I'm with you now. But um, yeah, I think they were more worried about the home fans actually mm. running onto the field gaily and all that kind of thing in a kind of Jurgen Klopp-esque manner. I've spoken enough about this game. Yes. There will be another one at Rodney Parade. I'm not sure when. Uh, one of the great uh, stadium locations, Rodney Parade. And I names, think. it should yeah. be said. Yeah. Uh, super. All right. Well, uh, let's get odds on some of the midweek action because there's loads of it and managers and all that kind of thing. Producer Ben has been speaking to Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. Hello, listeners. I've got Lee Price from Paddy Power, as usual, because this is what we do. So, Lee, let's talk about some of the midweek games that are coming up. Arsenal are taking on Man United. Man United were hopeless again at the weekend. Arsenal, quite thrillingly brilliant. What's going to happen here? I certainly didn't see that comeback coming. I thought they were dead and buried at halftime. But credit to them, although maybe not too much credit, because the number wizards at Power Tower, they've priced this up. And they favour Man United, weirdly. Uh, the home team are 13-10, to 10, and that probably is the big factor here. That is at Old Trafford. Arsenal not far behind at 2-1, to one, and the draw is 12-5. But as I said a few times to you this season, Ben, it's very hard to big up back in United at the minute. I'd steer well clear. And you got a money-back special on this one too, I believe. We do have a money-back special, and it's probably even more incentive not to bet on Man United. It's a money-back as a free bet if the Red Devils win. That applies to losing first, last, anytime goal scorers, correct score, and what odds paddy markets. Max refund £10, TNCs apply. Fulham versus Leicester means that Claudio Ranieri is up against the Foxes once more. This will be quite interesting. Can Fulham do it? This would be a fairy tale, wouldn't it? And God knows Fulham need one at the minute. They are still bottom of the table, despite Ranieri's win in his first game in charge. It's 2-1 to one they beat his former team Leicester at home, who are 13-10. to 10. The draw is 12-5. It's very tight in the price in there, but we do favour the Foxes. Sorry, Claudio. And finally, Lee, Mark Hughes what the plank. Give us the runners and riders to take over at St Mary's. Interested in the next manager market for Southampton. The favourite has been alternating between Kike Sanchez-Flores and Ralph Hassenhurtle, the former Leipzig manager. Kike was odds on this morning as the Mark Hughes news broke, but Hassan Huttle was moved back into the favourite as we record. No doubt that will switch again after we finish. Uh, there has been a move on a certain big Sam as well. He was well out in the bet and around 25 to 1 into sixes. Interest in that one, but it looks like they're going to go continental. Hassan Huttle's currently evens. Kike Sanchez Flores is now 10 to 3. 
That's changing all the time, though. You can find out those and other odds at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. We're back on Thursday with Duncan Alexander, uh, the ebullient David Priest, who no doubt will wish to weigh in on the subject of Jordan Pickford and the treatment the Everton keeper's been receiving. David, with some wise words on social media this Monday morning. Uh, And James Horncastle... If you know if he's not too busy being glamorous, we'll see what happens there. Mm. Tune in, lucky dip, eh, listeners? I'm sure it'll be something great, much like today's show's been with with Carl, Daniel, and and, and Michael. What, what are you off to do next, Carl? Um, I will be on Muddy Knees's other podcast, Parts Ooh. Unknown. We are completing our. Work oh, when are you doing that? Tuesday. Tuesday, and that's uh, you're completing the set of uh, WrestleManias. Yes, we will be. Um... Are you a wrestling fan, Michael? No. Okay. What about boxing? Where do you stand on boxing? No, not much. I quite like watching a fight, but I hate the circus around it, you know? Yeah. No. I just find it bizarre that we spend, you know, the same people who spend all that time talking about the danger of concussion and, like, you know, watch out heading a football and that player got a knock, you can't play him for a week and, like, we have to take care. We'll then go, yeah, now I'm going to watch two people actually actively try and do damage to each other's brains till they can't stand up anymore. Mm. I just find that a bit weird. But I know that, I mean, it, there's a, the raw, visceral thrill of seeing one man dominate another physically. Carl, is that right? Like life is a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, we're not going to top that as analysis. <laughs> so we'll sign off there, listener. Thank you so much for being with us, Carl, Daniel and Michael. And you, listener, we're back on uh, Thursday. Enjoy our other shows in the meantime. And for now, adios. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy News Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddynewsmedia.com. And don't forget to check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.